Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session, and instructions will follow at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. At this time, I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you, Kate, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Connect workshop, and today's program is the role of exercise, meditation, and nutrition. That's the title of the workshop today. It's a wonderful title, actually, and it's actually a part of a three-part series on living with myeloproliferative neoplasms, or MPN, and actually this is part three, so many of you have been on part one and two, and um, so we're ending with this particular workshop today uh, for this particular series. And today's program is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care and many other cancer organizations, as well as MPN organizations, the MPN Education Foundation and the MPN Research Foundation. And it's because of that collaboration and actually all of your interest in this program today that we have so many of you on the call today. And we have over 552 participants on the call today. And you come from all of the United States. Um, and you come from um, other countries as well. Um, we have participation from Australia, Canada, Egypt, Ireland, Korea, Puerto Rico, Tunisia, and the United Kingdom. So it's really a credit to all of you that you're on the call. And this is a global call. You really are from all over the world. Now today's program and this entire series was made possible by the Insight Corporation. I really want to thank them for their support of this program and this entire series, um, which has allowed us to offer both updates on MPN, but also on other topics that are of interest to all of you in terms of your actually coping on a day-to-day -day basis with MPN. And so I'm, we have wonderful faculty on this program today. I want to begin by introducing our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Christina Gowen. And Dr. Gowen is Hematology and Medical Oncology Fellow, Mayo Clinic, Arizona. And Dr. Gowen is going to address an overview and causes of MPN-related weight changes, weight loss and weight gain, impact on lean body mass and strength, nutritional concerns and aid tips that you may have, and questions to ask your doctor or healthcare team. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to Dr. Gowen. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Mesner, for that introduction. And really, thank you for the opportunity to spend time on this teleconference today and really address a very important topic, and that's the lifestyle measures that we as patients can all take to make an impact and a difference on our uh, treatment outcomes and toxicity. So this topic is really of a particular importance to me. Early on in my career as an oncologist, I became interested in really how can we integrate these lifestyle techniques into routine cancer care with, you know, the hope of seeking better outcomes and also reducing the toxicity of some of the therapies in which you're exposed. So, I, again, I'm really honored to speak on this topic today. So today I've been asked to really focus my time on weight and nutritional issues that may coincide with the diagnosis of myeloproliferative neoplasm. But certainly I think it's important to recognize that this is one aspect of a very integrated system of lifestyle techniques, which should be employed all together to gain the maximum benefit. So all aspects of lifestyle, including diet, which I'm going to address, exercise and stress reduction, which some of our other speakers will have the opportunity to address later in the call, should really be employed. So why is nutrition so important? And many of you on the call may recognize the name Hippocrates, and he's really the father of Western medicine. And he recognized this back in 360 BC, and he really left us with this poignant quote, which I still quote to my patients, and that is, let food be thy medicine, and medicine be thy food. And I really think that tells us a lot about the importance of nutrition and that perhaps we should not be looking at food as something that is something to fill us up, it's just part of our day, but rather as an integral component of our treatment. So why is nutrition an issue within the spectrum of disease myeloproliferative neoplasm? 
And I hope you've all had the opportunity to listen to some of the earlier conferences that really focused on some of the biology of myeloproliferative neoplasms. But let's just return there for a moment and revisit some of the essential principles. So remember that all myeloproliferative disease, including the entities of essential thrombocytosis, or ET, polycythemia vera, or PV, or myelofibrosis, or MF, they all really lead to abnormal production of blood cells from the bone marrow, which can be looked at as the blood cell factory in your body. This includes the red blood cells, the white blood cells, and the platelets, and may lead to some scarring within the bone marrow itself, particularly in the case of myelofibrosis. Now, because of the scarring, abnormal cell production in organs outside of the bone marrow may occur. And when this occurs, organs such as the spleen and the liver may become enlarged. And this enlargement can cause some abdominal pain and discomfort and a sense of feeling very full rapidly, even with small meals, and we call this early satiety. This enlargement of the organs, and particularly the organ of the spleen, can cause some stretching. And when the spleen actually stretches, it releases an enzyme or, a, or a, something we call a cytokine, which can go into the bloodstream and cause a sensation of fatigue, night sweats, bone pain, and then most importantly, weight loss. So weight loss associated with myelofibrosis and massive splenomegaly or an enlarged spleen may be profound and can really affect the muscle mass of your body. And this can lead to decreased strength. This additionally can exacerbate some of the symptoms of fatigue which may be associated with the disease. So I want to point out that there truly is a range of symptoms in the spectrum of disease of myeloproliferative neoplasms and that not all patients will experience massive splenomegaly or massive weight loss. And in fact, some patients with myeloproliferative neoplasms, particularly with patients with ET or PV, they may in fact be asymptomatic or have no symptoms at all. So the issues of nutrition really are going to vary among each individual patient. I want to point out that the most common symptom of all myeloproliferative neoplasms, something that unites all of the entities, is fatigue. Often this is really concurrent with some of the psychosocial aspects of the disease, such as depression, anxiety, and this can lead to decreased activity levels, which, as we all know, can potentially lead to weight gain. Obesity has been linked to worse prognosis than many other cancers, and it's particularly concerning in those with myeloproliferative neoplasms, because if you've learned in prior series, there's an increased risk of heart disease and stroke in those afflicted with the disease. So in general, in patients with myeloproliferative neoplasms, the nutritional goal should be to maintain a healthy weight and to really optimize cholesterol levels to decrease the risk of any vascular events such as heart attacks or strokes. Some specialized recommendations really exist, and, and those are for patients who have decreased immune systems. Sometimes patients, particularly with myelofibrosis, may have low white blood cells or neutrophils, and those patients really need to have a specialized diet, and we'll spend some more time later kind of devoting to that, what that diet looks like. Those patients may also have very extreme weight loss, maybe greater than 10% of body weight in a six-month period of time. And then additionally, some patients may be being treated for a blood clot and are on blood thinners. And blood thinners certainly will affect a dietary recommendation. So to address nutrition fully, I think we really have to recognize that a one-size-fits-all approach really doesn't work in the spectrum of disease. So let's try to break it down into some subgroups of recommendations that we can really focus on. 
And so the first group I'd like to focus on is the asymptomatic patient with no weight loss. Generally, I counsel patients to eat whole, non-processed foods and whole grains, lean meats and fish, and lots and lots of vegetables, and a smaller portion of fruit. I recommend shopping on the perimeter of a grocery store, as most of the whole foods are found there, and try to avoid those middle aisles that can be laden with canned and packaged and frozen foods. Remember that frozen fruits and vegetables are good, so those are the exception to the rule. Uh, for proportions in general, I think it's a nice guideline to fill half your plate with vegetables, 25% with lean meat or other protein, about the size of your palm, and 25% of complex grain, whole grains, like whole wheat bread, brown rice, quinoa, amaranth, those kind of things. Lean protein consists of fish, turkey, chicken, tofu, or legumes, which are beans. Red meat should be in moderation, and really no more than once weekly if you can do it. Oils should be healthy oils. Uh, those are the polyunsaturated oils, such as olive oil or canola oils. And really avoid the hydrogenated oils or the trans fats. Sweets are in moderation. And try naturally sweet foods, such as stevia or agave nectar. Some special considerations. For those with very significant weight loss, I recommend seeing a nutritionist and getting some help with education and some directed techniques to protect against further weight loss. Sometimes supplements are very helpful. Ensure, Boost, or other supplements containing very high calories with protein. Shakes and smoothies can be your best friend if you're losing a lot of weight. And they're very great because you can pack a high-quality protein in powders and some other high-calorie items such as heavy cream or sneaking some things like avocado or nut butters into a shake can really add some good nutrition and uh, caloric density. For those with low immune systems, we talked briefly about that, typically seen in myelofibrosis. We recommend a neutropenic diet, and this really should be in conjunction with your primary care provider. But in general, you avoid raw, undercooked fruits and vegetables. And fruits that have very thick peels, such as bananas and orange, are typically safe. You avoid undercooked meats and unpasteurized dairy foods, and avoid salad bars. For those taking blood thinner medications, such as warfarin, food containing high levels of vitamin K may interact with your medication and make it less effective. So a consistent vitamin K diet is essential while taking warfarin. Be sure to talk to your nutritionist and to your provider about high vitamin K foods. In general, those with foods with very leafy green vegetables, such as spinach, some types of fruit and herbs and oils can have high vitamin K. For those who are overweight or obese, I recommend a healthy weight loss plan, which should really involve your primary care provider and nutritionist. In general, calorie reduction and increased activity. And importantly, focus on low cholesterol diet with healthy fats. Because remember, in myeloproliferative neoplasms, we're really trying to reduce the risk of heart disease and strokes. Sources of cholesterol, remember, are animal fats, red meats, butter, egg yolks, shellfish, and these are all very high cholesterol culprits that you may want to omit. I would like to say do not take on a weight loss plan without first consulting with your provider first. So you can appreciate there are a lot of nutritional issues surrounding those with NPN, and an individualized plan is very essential for optimal management. You should ask your provider if any of your medications interact, if there's any laboratory work that you should be aware of that perhaps would indicate a special diet for you, and then ask them if you would benefit from a nutritional consult. So in general, for those with no special circumstances, a whole foods balanced diet is recommended to maintain a healthy weight and to decrease risk of heart or vascular disease. Communication with your provider is key Involve other members of your team, including a nutrition uh, specialist, but also your friends and your family who will be needed to support your nutritional choices in the household. And remember, let food be thy medicine. 
Thank you so much for your time today and for tuning in. And I turn the call back over to Dr. Mesner. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Gowen. That was really um, excellent and very informative in terms of things to do. And I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A. Thank you. And our next speaker is Donna Wilson. And Ms. Wilson is a nurse, and she also is a fitness coordinator. She's pulmonary clinical nurse specialist, fitness coordinator, integrative medicine center, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. Ms. Wilson is going to address the role of physical activity and its benefits and tips to guide you to keep moving. Um, I'm going to turn this program over to Ms. Wilson. Hello, everyone, um, and welcome. I'm very pleased to be on this call with you all. Um, um, I agree with everything our previous um, speaker said. I mean, I would just add, I always say that exercise is me medicine, but um, totally on the same um, thought process that exercise and nutrition is medicine. I mean, eating very healthy and staying away from fatty foods is so important. Um, then we want to increase your exercise performance. There are many people that I know that really didn't exercise before, but no matter what in this lifestyle we have and with going through the, your treatments, fatigue is the most common problem. And the one, only one way you know as well is that you feel really tired and you try to take a nap and you wake up and you still feel fatigued. But exercise is the one thing that can really help um, with feeling and decreasing the amount of fatigue. I'm not saying that we take it away, but we can decrease it. And that's because when you exercise, you start producing different things in the muscle, and those actin and myosin and all these chemicals in the muscle decrease the fatigue of the muscle. So, um, and I've done, worked with so many patients now that I can really see the change. And I'm happy to say they come to class and I provide exercise classes for them. Um, and, you know, they might go to three or four classes and then start to see the change that when they go to the subway here in New York and they walk up and down the stairs, it's much easier. And coordinating their power of their breath with the exercise is key. So, my suggestion for everyone is we know exercise is safe. No matter what kind of cancer you have, we know exercise is safe. The most important thing is to start slowly and so you stay motivated. And really look at small incremental changes in your lifestyle. One that always comes to mind to me is when people are exercising and then they go to fly and they have a small carry-on bag, they finally tell me that they can get the carry-on bag in the overhead um, compartment themselves and not have to ask. And that's because they've improved their strength, their strength and their physical, their muscular um, ability. So when you start a program, it's always good to start with just a little movement therapy first. Start with knee, knee, knee lifts or start with um, leg, leg extensions, sit in the chair and lift up your leg. Um, you can walk quickly and then do a little side shuffle, side to side, step, step together, step together. Get your heart rate up a little bit, and when this way, when your body's warm, then you can sit down and do some um, lightweight training. You always start with light weights first, um, and then you can build up accordingly. Usually the larger muscle groups like, that we use a lot, like your bicep muscle your, in your arm, you can actually use a heavier weight. But your goal is to really overall improve your muscular function. As you improve your muscul muscular function and strength, your balance will improve. If your balance improves, then you'll have less risk of falling. So it's so important. The other thing is the anxiety and the depression and stress that you deal with the disease, this, the, extra, the exercise really decreases that. I get numerous um, uh, consultations um, to me from psychiatry department because people find that when they start to exercise, they actually need less antidepressants and feel better. Um, our suggestion for exercise would be to try to exercise four times a week, maybe for 30 minutes. It doesn't mean 30 minutes all, you know, in one lump sum. That might be too much for you. You might do 10 minutes three times a day or two 15-minute sections. Um, and you might want to change it around from just doing arm movements and passive movements one day to the weight training. Um, it's always important to do a little stretch at the end and do some deep breathing. Breathing is an integral part. 
one, just an example is when you go on and do stair climbing, most people get very short of breath with stair climbing. But if you put your foot on the step and breathe out as you go up each step, you will find that you really do much better and your performance status will be better. The time you get to the top of the stairs, you will not feel so short of breath. I think it's important not to do, um, if your doctor tells you your spleen is enlarged, be very careful not to do any impact, no, no jogging. I would probably not do a lot of crunches or a lot of floor work. But, you know, with breathing, when you breathe out, you can always draw in your abdomen by, as you're blowing out through your lips to breathe out, you can track your muscles to get them stronger. So I feel very strong that... Um, Exercise, sometimes people get a little overwhelmed with the word, but and it's not fitness. I want you to keep moving. I want you to know that whatever you do, by keeping moving, you're going to stay healthy. It's going to be great for your cardiovascular system. It's going to keep your weight under control, maybe decrease the level of diabetes, as well as just feel better. I think that I have done this now for 12 years, and I cannot tell you the dramatic change in people that I work with, even after just one month of an exercise plan, that they feel dramatically better. When you feel better, you improve your mood. When you improve your mood, you enjoy family and friends. So my suggestion to all of you, and to remember the most important thing is keep moving. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you so much, Donna. That was really wonderful. And, uh, and we have now uh, something that we can all think about and post around is uh, keep moving. It's uh, just a wonderful uh, message to give to everybody. Thank you. And our next speaker is uh, Rick Dickens, and Rick is an oncology social worker. He's clinical supervisor, mind-body project coordinator at Cancer Care. And uh, Mr. Dickens is going to address uh, overview of meditation, how meditation may help, and meditation exercises. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to Mr. Dickens. Thank you, Carolyn. Within the last 10 to 20 years, all major cancer centers have established integrative medicine departments, which can also be called complementary alternative medicine and include mind-body-spirit practices such as meditation, yoga, qigong, guided imagery, and other techniques. While the use of these practices is still relatively new in the West, most of them have a history going back thousands of years in Eastern medicine. These practices are called holistic medicine because they treat the whole person, mind, body, and spirit, and integrative medicine because they are practices that can be done in conjunction with standard treatments. I'm going to begin with breath, which is the cornerstone of meditation. Dr. Andrew Wild, Harvard-educated and one of the leaders in integrative medicine, said in a 2005 Time magazine cover article, I have long promoted the benefits of working with the breath as the simplest, most efficient way of taking advantage of the mind-body connection to affect both physical and mental health. I want to start with a simple breath exercise. I will ask you to breathe in, hold it for a count of one to two, then breathe out, making noise. We'll do that three times, and I will leave a moment of silence. So sitting as comfortably as possible right now, begin to breathe. And as you breathe, <clears throat> observe your breath in and out, in and out. Now take a deep breath, as deep as is comfortable, and hold it for the count of two. One, two, and breathe out, and make noise when you're breathing it out. <sighs> Again, a deep, comfortable breath. Hold it, one, two, and breathe out. <sighs> one more comfortable, deep breath. Hold it. One, two, breathe out, now relax. The most important part in that three breath exercise is to relax at the end, to take advantage of those moments, the silence and the moments of getting the oxygen, which is so crucial in our breath. 
When we are under stress, we are hardwired to take shallow breaths from our chest to quickly get oxygen to help us move into the fight or flight mode. After we confront the crisis at hand, our bodies return to our natural breath. This is the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems. But when we are in, in an extended or chronic state of cri crisis or worry, as can be the case when dealing with myeloproliferative neoplasms, we don't return to our natural belly breath and the steady flow of oxygen we need to calm our mind and maintain our bodies. This state is very important in helping us make serious decisions about treatment and health. A simple way to observe your breath is to put one hand on your chest and the other on your abdomen with your thumb on your navel, so it's actually below your lungs across your, on, on front of, in front of your gastric organs. You can do that when we're over, when this um, presentation is over. While doing this, take three breaths. If the primary hand moving is on your chest, then you're taking shallow breaths and are not using your full abdomen. Breath is the cornerstone of meditation also. The practice of meditation is simply an exercise in quieting the mind to help us maintain balance or equanimity in a world that is always changing. It is in no way meant to put us to sleep or remove us from our concerns, and quite the contrary, meditation actually heightens our awareness and helps us focus better. Walks in nature, repetitive prayer, listening to soothing music or ambient sounds are meditative techniques that most people engage in at some time or other. There are many types of meditation practices. One well-known type uses a mantra or sound as the point of focus, sometimes referred to as a one-pointed meditation. Transcendental meditation, or TM, is one of the most well-known of this type of practice. In TM, you sit quietly 20 minutes a day and focus on your mantra. When you notice the mind has wandered, you gently bring it back to the breath. The goal of this type of meditation is to transcend from a state of too much thought to no thought. If you study TM, you are given a Sanskrit word as a mantra, but you can also engage in this type of practice by using affirming one-syllable words such as peace, love, joy, and hope. <clears throat> the most studied type of meditation in the West is a two-pointed meditation called mindfulness or insight meditation. Mindfulness uses the breath as a point of focus to quiet the mind and then a non-judgmental awareness of your thoughts when the mind wanders. The funny thing about the mind is that it, it also has a mind of its own. In other words, the mind wanders before we know it has wandered. This is some, sometimes called monkey mind. Like a monkey jumps indiscriminately from tree to tree, the mind jumps indiscriminately from idea to idea often focusing on negative concerns. Unlike one-pointed meditation, when you simply bring the mind back to the mantra when you discovered it's wandered, in mindfulness you observe the new thought non-judgmentally rather than ignoring it. Mindfulness uses the breath as the point of focus and views thoughts that arise with a state of non-judgmental awareness, being fully present to the myriad of physical and emotional feelings while not being impacted by them. <clears throat> a, help, a metaphor for meditation in mind is a rip current. When the ocean tide comes in, the beach quickly becomes saturated with water. The excess water needs a place to go, so it begins to spill back into the incoming ocean by creating a narrow current going against the larger tide. The best of swimmers who get caught in a rip current will drown if they become overwhelmed by fear and fight against the force of water. However, if they swim parallel to the beach, they eventually come out of the current and once again swim ashore with the tide. Physical and emotional pain often make us fight against them, consuming us in their power. But if we simply float with it, non-judgmentally, observing its impact, it eventually dissipates and allows us to be free from its grip of fear and suffering. In the beginning of mindfulness practice, the focus is only on the breath, gently bringing your mind back to breath when you notice it has wandered. As you grow in the practice, you learn methods of body scanning, using the, sens the sensations of the body to strengthen the practice of non-judgmental awareness. 
With more practice, the mind often expands beyond the narrow focus of breath to incorporate feelings and sensations and eventually streams of consciousness opening to other phenomena. In mindfulness, thoughts and sensations of the body become the teacher. A holistic view of the mind-body connection is that the body feels while the mind attributes feelings. And in other words, what happens is what we feel translates into how we are feeling, and in doing that doubles the suffering. With mindfulness, you do not try to avoid the thought feeling, but simply observe non-judgmentally, which in turn diminishes its power. Then you gently guide the, the mind back to the breath. John Kabat-Zinn is the best-known Western teacher of mindfulness and the founder of the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Program, MBSR, at the University of Massachusetts Medical Center School. Over 30 years of research and meditation has shown, among other things, that it can help lower blood pressure, increase the immune response, and alleviate pain, or at least help people tolerate it better. Kabat-Zinn's Western model of mindfulness expanded the traditional sitting technique to walking meditation, non-judgmentally observing physical sensations of movement. He says, mindfulness is about being fully awake in our lives. It is about experiencing the exquisite vividness of each moment. We feel more alive. We also gain immediate access to our inner resources for insight, transformation, and healing. There are many books and tapes on mindfulness as well as online videos. Like any practice, it is best understood by attending workshops and classes by trained clinicians, but the simplicity makes it possible to experiment on its own. I want to close with a simple loving-kindness meditation, which we can do at any time, anywhere. It goes like this. May I be happy. May I move with ease. May I embrace hope. May I find peace. And then we expand it to, may my family and friends be happy. May my family and friends move with ease. May my family and friends embrace hope. May my family and friends find peace. And finally, we extend it to all living beings, repeating, may the world be happy. May the world move with ease. May the world embrace hope. May the world find peace. I wish you all hope, peace, ease, and happiness within your struggles that you're dealing with right now. Bye-bye. Oh, thank you so much, Rick. That was really amazing. And um, I think that um, those last words were very, very moving and very helpful to everyone as well as was the exercise and just the explanation about meditation. So thank you. And um, our next speaker is Sarah Kelly, and Sarah is an oncology social worker, a coordinator of older adult services, and uh, Ms. Kelly is going to present resources for coping with MPN, cancer kids, free psychosocial services, and the role of support groups. Ms. Kelly? Thank you, Dr. Messner. And as Dr. Messner said, I'm an oncology social worker here, and I work with many people and their family members and friends and support network were diagnosed with MPN, and we've really been talking about managing your care and your quality of life. And so I'd like to begin really just by addressing some practical tips to also help you with this. I think one of the most important is checking in with yourself. Ask yourself, how am I feeling? Am I stressed? Am I feeling it physically? Am I feeling it emotionally? The body responds to physical and emotional stress by releasing stress hormones, um, epinephrine, norepinephrine that increase your blood pressure, uh, they can speed up your heart rate, raise your blood sugar levels. Check in with your body. Listen to your body. It will let you know where you are with things. And by doing that, even just by asking those questions, how am I feeling, you know, am I feeling stressed physically or emotionally, addressing it can help you minimize it. And then, of course, using some of the tools that Mr. Dickens talked about will also help you then reduce some of that stress. In line with this, also be aware of your limits. Allow yourself to say no. Uh, when people ask if you can take on a task that maybe you don't have the time or the energy to complete, allow yourself that gift to say no, really focusing again on you and where you are in the moment. 
get organized. I know this is not the easiest, but using a calendar, creating a list of tasks, really breaking things down into more manageable chunks can help with this. Um, you know, concentrate your efforts on things you can control. For example, you know, a doctor's schedule or getting stuck in traffic. These are things that are out of our control, even with the best planning. But remaining a little bit flexible, really just focusing on what you can control and also just how you react to it. Sometimes I think the only aspect of a problem that we can control is the, our reaction to it. Also ask for help. And I'm going to talk about this uh, more in depth in a minute. But really asking family, friends, other health professionals for help, it is a sign of strength. There are organizations out there like Cancer Care and some of the others I'm going to mention in a moment who are there uh, specifically to help you. So whether you're you know, asking family or friends for support for specific tasks, meals, errands, or getting psychosocial support through counseling or groups, it really can help you as you're going through this. And then also getting help with financial problems. And this falls under the umbrella of asking for help. Uh, and you know, last week we had a great, great uh, Connect workshop on this, and that's still available for you to listen to. Asking a oncology social worker, financial advisor, anyone familiar um, with cancer and finances for advice on dealing with this really, really helps. Don't wait to seek financial help. Really address it as soon as you can. And then, of course, the the. Uh, other management strategies we talked about today. We talked about diet, exercise, meditation. I would also like to throw in there, of course, getting psychosocial support, engaging in social activities and other activities you enjoy, such as hobbies, clubs, anything like that. And I'm now going to talk about some resources for coping um, with MPN and some organizations that are out there. So two that are specific to MPN that I know we've mentioned in previous calls the MPN Research Foundation and the MPN Education Foundation. Both organizations provide a wealth of information regarding MPN treatment, support and support groups, and also financial resources. Their contact information, I think, is listed in your brochures. I'm going to give it to you guys now also. It's, uh, I'll start with the MPN Research Foundation. And to get in touch with them, you're just going to go to their website. It's www.mpnresearchfoundation.org. So that's the first one. And then the second one I wanted to give you is for the MPN Education Foundation. And to connect with them, again, it's another website. It's www.mpn.org. MPNinfo.org. So in addition to those that are specific to MPN, I also want to mention the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Uh, they offer assistance to patients with blood cancers, including patients who are diagnosed with MPN. They also have um, some financial aid for patients who are in active treatment, copay assistance, education resources, and support. They do provide some uh, online support groups, so definitely check in with them. I'm going to give you their website and then also a phone number where you can reach them. The web address is www.lls.org, and then their phone number is 1-800-955-4572. Again, I believe these are included in your brochures. If you didn't get them or you have questions about them, call us. And um, I'll give you our number now and I'll also give it to you at the end of uh, my talk. So it's 1-800-813-HOPE. And that's 1-800-813-4673. So if you have any questions about today's call or you missed those uh, resources and the web addresses and numbers, just call us and we'll be able to give that to you. So I'm going to now talk a little bit more in depth about coping and creating a support network, which I feel really is part of the treatment plan. It's an important part of your care, and I'm going to talk about how cancer care can be a part of that. So a little about who we are. Uh, cancer Care is a national nonprofit organization that provides free professional support services to anyone affected by cancer. Our programs include individual counseling, which is face-to-face -face in the New York area, and over the phone nationally. We have support groups, which we also provide face-to-face -face in New York. 
We do them over the phone nationally, and we also do them online nationally and internationally. We have education programs like the one we're on today. We provide practical help, uh, how to navigate the healthcare system. We also provide some limited financial assistance as well as chemotherapy copay assistance. All of our services are provided by licensed master's level oncology social workers, and they're completely free of charge. Oncology social workers really are trained in how a diagnosis of cancer affects a person and his or her family and friends, how it affects the support network. We're also trained to help cancer patients and their families tackle the problems that accompany the disease. Financial demands, physical changes, social adjustments, psychological impact, we can address all of those things. And I find that adjusting to and finding ways of coping with this in the diagnosis is really an important part of the healing process. And as I said earlier, a part of treatment. As you know, cancer affects the whole person, the entire support network. As I said earlier, asking for help by joining a support group, talking to social workers um, for counseling or other supports, it really is a sign of strength. And I'd like for you to take home that you don't have to do this alone. You don't have to walk the path alone. Joining a support group, you're really connecting with others who are going through a similar situation. With the individual counseling, it's a space that's just yours to voice any concerns that are coming up. These connections can help lessen the isolation that many people with cancer experience, and that does also include caregivers and the support network. Feeling well emotionally helps you better deal with the diagnosis. And at this time, I'm just going to talk about what we're providing. So we do have an online support group for people who are diagnosed with blood cancers. We also have face-to-face -face support groups in the New York area. We have a general patient support group and a caregiver support group. On the phone, we also have a general patient group and a caregiver support group. Please know that these resources are here for you if you're interested. For the online group, you can actually just go to the website to register. And I should also mention we do have online support for caregivers. And the website is www.cancercare.org. And then for the face-to-face, -face, the phone groups, you can definitely call us to register for those. And that's on our HOPE line, which I mentioned earlier, 1-800-813-HOPE or 1-800-813-4673. If you're interested in any of these services or even just have questions about them, please, please contact us. And then I'm just going to actually mention the website once more. It's very comprehensive. So not only can you register for the online support groups, there's a lot of information on there on all of our programs, as well as on the diagnosis and treatment and coping as you go through this. You know, we've learned a lot from today's program. There's definitely a lot of information to digest and get your arms around. Know that we're here to help you do that. And remember, you're not alone. I, you know, I stress this often during these calls, and I really can't stress it enough. Our services are here to help you. If anything should come up, please contact us. Thanks so much for your attention and the opportunity to talk today. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Kelly. That was really excellent, Sarah. Um, and a lot of good resources for people. And we, um, you do have the resources. We also sent them out um, as an announcement to all of you who are live streaming. And we will be sending it in the evaluation materials we sent to you and as, as a follow-up packet of materials to you as well. So you'll all be getting, in addition, those resources are, you have them, but we're going to send them to you again so you're sure to have everything that was discussed today. And uh, now we do have time for questions. We have a lot of time for questions. I'm going to ask. Uh, uh, Kate to explain to you how to queue up for questions. We're going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. I do want to say with so many of you on the call today, if we don't get to your question, please know that you can always uh, call us at our 800 number um, at the end of the call. And I'll give out that number again. I know you've, been, you've gotten that number a few times, but we'll give it to you again toward the end of the call. But let's see how many questions we can take now. So um, if you could um, bring all the speakers on board. Uh, um, Kate, and, um, and if you could explain to everybody how to queue up for questions. Thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then 1 on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. And again, ladies and gentlemen, if you do have a question at this time, please press star then 1 on your touchtone telephone. So we have a question from one of our online participants. Um, I was recently diagnosed with ET. What extra measures can, can I use 
can can I use suggested for me to take? What extra measures can you suggest for me to take care of myself this cold winter flu season? Dr. Gowen, could you address that, please? Thank you so much for that question. I think it's so relevant being in this flu season that we're entering into. You know, I think in general, all of the different aspects that we've heard about today, listening to uh, your body, trying to make sure that your body is well-nourished with good, healthy, whole foods, that you're getting daily exercise and enough rest, and certainly taking care of any stress that may be going on in your life with maybe some mind-body therapies or some mindfulness meditation that was provided on today's call. I think all of these aspects taken together keep you as healthy as you possibly can. Now, in, in the general aspect, a lot of times uh, the holiday season brings travel. And so when you're traveling, I do recommend good hand hygiene, maybe traveling with a Purell, and then uh, certainly limiting uh, your contact with uh, sick little ones if you have little ones in the family, and, and really looking at all of the different aspects of today's call, and then you know, taking a couple of those extra little preventative measures will likely keep you healthy during this flu season. Excellent. And do you want to go over just the immunizations around flu shots or pneumonia shots and those kinds of things just so everybody has come up Absolutely. a lot of these With any chronic illness, I do recommend a flu vaccination every season, and that includes all myeloproliferative neoplasms and then certainly all other active malignancies for our other callers who are joining us. Now, there are different formulations of vaccinations, and so I recommend getting the killed vaccine, no live virus, flu vaccine. So that means not getting the mist, but the actual injection. And then in patients who are uh, 65 or older or have an ongoing active malignancy, we also do recommend for a pneumonia vaccine. And so uh, a one-time shot of, of an anti-pneumococcal agent would protect you from the streptococcal, uh, a certain kind of bacteria that frequently causes pneumonias, and so I do recommend that as well. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's excellent. Uh, now we have another question um, from one of our participants. Um, is it true that yoga can increase my energy levels? Um, Mr. Dickens, can you address that question in a general way and um, just, just in general? Sure. Um, without a doubt, and, and I think it was referred to there by Donna that exercise, and, and we've all talked about it to some degree, can um, mentally and physically really, really give you more energy of sorts or at least make you feel better. Um, yoga I'm not as familiar with. I jokingly say as much as I love the chakras and all of those things about it, the history of yoga, I do have problems with some of the movements and things like that. But it is probably the most popular mind-body practice in America right now used by millions of people, and it is really a wonderful exercise and comes through and is done by many different practitioners to a very mild yoga or a much more aggressive yoga. Yoga itself incorporates the mind and the body in many of the techniques, if not all of them there. So within that process, can it energize your body um, in a more holistic way, yes. People who do come, a, come away from some kind of physical activity almost exclusively, in fact, I can't say unless they push themselves beyond the limits of being comfortable, I can't say that I've read of literature that people have been hurt in a lot of these mind-body sort of practices. Qigong also has a lot of physical movements, Tai Chi. And, um, and people do, they show, one, you're breathing better, and the breathing really oxygenates the body through our hemoglobin and B cells, and, um, and you're also just calming the mind, and within that process, like meditation, you're removing the mind or slowing the mind down from jumping around the monkey mind to all those other things and bringing a point of focus, albeit whether it's for 15 minutes or an hour class. So I would say definitely everything that I've heard about yoga and people who participate, it will energize you, it can calm you, and it really is a wonderful, often um, participatory activity as well. If I can just comment too briefly Please. on yes. some of the new data that actually has come out for yoga, this is actually 
quite well studied in the breast cancer population. And I think it has been published in a, a recent journal, the Journal of Clinical Oncology, one of our major oncology journals. But I think what's really interesting about the study is that what they found is that patients' quality of life was drastically altered employing yoga. And not only that, but they found that the blood chemistry was altered, that some of the inflammatory markers when employing yoga in breast cancer patients are decreased. And so I think there's a lot to yoga and really, really powerful medicine for us. Excellent. Thank you. That's a very important. That's a very, very important study and documentation, so thank you so much. Um, so um, another question um, from um, one of our online participants. I've read, um, I, I've tried meditating in the past, but I can't focus or I'm too overwhelmed. Do you have any suggestions? Again, Rick, can you comment on that? Sure. Uh, that's an often a comment that comes up in meditation. I've been meditating, my, meditating myself for 35 years. Sometimes it's really fun to sit down in a meditation that your mind and your body just fits right into it, and it's calming and relaxing and everything. But the truth is, if you work with a Swami, a Guru, or Rinpoche, those are all teachers in the practice of meditations, you're going to find... <clears throat> that those stressful times, those times that you're being challenged are actually the teachers because life itself is filled with stress. Then you add a cancer diagnosis or physical ailments and things like that, your mind is going to jump around. It can be a little less pleasant sometimes, but if you can mostly work through the unpleasantness, albeit 15, 20, 30 minutes, sometimes myself and people will sit down for an hour meditation, um, you do kind of begin to dissipate some of that, um, that scattered thoughts and that concerns and that wandering of the mind. You shouldn't fight against it. Mindfulness is wonderful in this way. Is it, it actually says, again, those are the teachers, the little feelings throughout the body that we want to itch or we want to move or things like that or the thoughts that keep wandering, or when they wander, the implications of what we say, gee, I can't even hang on to this thought or this mantra or this breath exercise for very long. We imply a certain negative aspect on what we're doing, and actually stopping that a moment and using that non-judgmental awareness does begin to break down that, um, that those the, the mind going off on its own monkey mind track. So that's not uncommon that that happens. It's not uncommon that it's not pleasant. Um, but I do believe a lot of the teaching happens in those points, especially if you could sit with it. And even somebody like me with 35 years of meditation practice, I have days that are more difficult than others. Excellent. That's very helpful. And um, another question, um, actually, um, is there a diet or exercises or anything that can help with chemo brain? And that term refers to memory and thinking changes often um, actually starting or actually related to uh, cancer treatments. So it's, it's commonly, people commonly, many people have that experience. And so I'm going to ask probably all of our panelists to weigh in on this one, and I'll ask uh, Dr. Gowen if you could go first, and just if there's anything that can be recommended for people having these memory and thinking changes related to their treatment. Well, that's an excellent question. I'll have to tell you a very difficult issue. You know, the phenomenon of chemo brain is so prevalent across all different cancer types, and it's such a difficult question to answer because there's just no good data out there to help us guide our patients into what kind of supplements or what kind of diet can really help to uh, make some difference in the treatment of this. I think in general, uh, keeping your brain active in cognitive kind of exercises, whether that be uh, Sudoku or playing bridge with your friends or reading or just keeping the brain active certainly helps with all cognitive function, and that's been well documented in Alzheimer's and other cognitive decline. And so I think if we can translate it from what we know in those areas to chemo brain, it makes a lot of sense. Now, as far as a diet, you know, I think the same principles hold true. Just utilizing a whole foods diet, natural foods, um, 
you know, shopping on the perimeter of the grocery store, making sure that you're getting a very balanced diet, maybe full in omega-3 fatty acids, which is very helpful for brain and, and, and neurologic function, is important. But there's truly no very specific diet that can fix chemo brain. Um, exercise, I, I know that's very important in, in you know, dealing with stress, anxiety, which certainly can have an impact in your cognitive function and chemo brain. So I, I'm sure some of our other sequels would like to address the role of exercise and, and meditation and, and kind of addressing this. Thank you so much. And, and uh, Donna Wilson, do you want to comment on that? Um, what I have noticed is that, yes, exercise does help. And one of the things I do in my exercise class, I will try to do an exercise that will cross over right to left. So I'll ask people, because then you're using both sides of your brain. And many times, you know, if I don't suggest it or say it, and I say, okay, take your right elbow to your left knee, all of a sudden I'll see the right arm and the right knee go up. So it's crossover. You really want to cross the planes of the right-left brain, and that's stimulating. And yes, it has changed. I, the people that I exercise, it, it seems that they don't complain about it after, you know, a period of time of exercising, because I think you're increasing blood flow to the area, and I think you're nourishing the brain tissue more. Um, but it does get better with time. I think some people might use it as an excuse when they make a mistake <laughs> um, and they say, oh, it was chemo brain. But the truth is I think with the exercise is the one thing that I have seen a major change um, and also doing an exercise to cross over right to left brain. Thank you. And uh, Sarah, do you want to comment on just some of the things that are done in terms of counseling with people in terms of just the compensatory things that people can do or, or just um, – techniques that sometimes help people as well. Absolutely. So, um, you know, I think some practical things you can do, and then Dr. Gowan actually talked about the, the biggest one is keeping your brain active. And I also loved that sort of right elbow, left knee, because you are then accessing both parts. You want to make sure that you're exercising your brain. And that could be, I mean, anything, crosswords, Sudoku, even going to a lecture or doing something that you enjoy that really is engaging your brain. So that's one thing you can do. And really keeping organized, make lists, carry a notepad with you, write down some of the things that you need to do. So that way you can reference it if, let's say, you forget. Um, use a planner or a personal organizer, whether it's a paper planner or just using your phone or some of the other electronic devices people use. Wall calendars I'm a fan of because you can put them up there. They're on view. You can write down the things you need to, and it helps you remember things and, and stay organized. Those are some of the very sort of practical things you can do. The other piece of this that I think is so important is being gentle with yourself around this. It may happen if you are on treatment for extended amounts of time, you know, chemo brain is very real. So it may happen that you are losing the ability to concentrate, remember things, you know, all of the things that go along with that. Be gentle with yourself. Try not to beat yourself up. And I say that because once that tape starts playing, your stress levels are going to shoot up. So if you can, when something happens, when you've misplaced your keys and you can't find them, take a step back, take a breath, and really be gentle with yourself in it. Thank you. And, and Carolyn, you to, I'd yes, just like yes. to add, it, add also, I totally agree with the balanced diet. As somebody who's been an athlete most of my life, all of my life, but also somebody who loves comfort foods. But I am aware a lot of times if I am in anxious moments or a lot of things are going on, that definitely coffee, coffee, um, sodas, uh, things like that can stimulate us in a way that really can distort our thinking or make us more anxious and such. So although I do believe in moderation and I'm not myself ready to give up cookies or things like that completely, I am more aware of not eating as many of them and balancing that even with a better balanced diet. 
Um, I also love the whole idea of the studies in the brain and the brain plasticity. And along with Sudoku and all of those other wonderful exercises, and as Donna had talked about that exercise, um, just physically with the legs and such, um, I would also say there's some simple things. And I've read a while ago, if you drive somewhere, or in our case, many of us in New York take the subways all the time, get off at a different stop from time to time. Go to a different food store. Um, myself, about a year ago, is getting older sometimes. I realized, you know, I'm going to try to, I'm a right-handed person, and I'm going to try to start eating with my left hand. It is a little frustrating at first, but those are simple things also that we begin to challenge sometimes the cognitive distortions or the difficulties that we're feeling and, um, and experiencing. And from my understanding, new neural pathways are often developed just by those simple activities of, um, of doing things different, even daily routines. Thank you, Rick. And um, also, I just want to mention to everyone that um, you know, rehabilitative medicine offers a great deal in this area. Um, and so for some people who are having really a hard time with it or even just beginning to, to embrace this, I would say that I would speak to your healthcare team. And we've learned a great deal in the cognitive field from other kinds of, of experiences like this where there are lots of very good tips and techniques that you can learn both to compensate and also for someone to help evaluate some of the challenges that you may face and things that you can specifically do around your keys, your you know, vital things that you don't want to misplace or things like that that you really want to kind of um, be very proactive on. So there's some very proactive people in rehabilitative medicine, occupational therapy, physical therapy that can offer you a great deal as well. Now, I want to thank all of our speakers. This has been an extraordinary call. And actually, we could go on all afternoon, but we, um, we do have a defined time. So I want to thank our speakers. I want to thank all of you who've asked such really great questions online and who've been participating and all of you who've been listening. And I want to remind you that this is a one-hour program and that in planning a program like this, we know that you have many needs that go far beyond the scope of one hour. So please, we don't want anyone to leave this program feeling like you're alone or that you have nowhere else to turn at this point. You are now part of the Cancer Care community, and we welcome you to call us at 1-800-813-HOPE um, to speak to our oncology social workers about any questions you didn't get to ask, any concerns you may have, any of our free services that you might like to access, and please do call us. We have so many services that we provide um, both from counseling and practical assistance. So do call us again, and uh, I want to thank you all for participating, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may disconnect. Have a wonderful day.